How could you, man? With Rex Manning? I hate you. Gina, you better go home. Am I fired? Have I fired anyone today? No. Why would I start with you? So is this how your life's gonna be now, huh? You're just gonna screw every has-been until your tits fall down and they don't want you anymore? Well, at least I don't hide what I am. Right, Corey? At least I'm not some closet speed freak, right? What, you think I don't see what you do? Do you think I don't see what you do? Shut up! I know what you do! What's this? Oh, what's this? What are these? Huh? What are these? Aspirins, vitamins, breath mints, diet pills? Diet pills? Oh, what a surprise! Stop it! I could study all night if I was chowing down speed too. You know that it could. There's one for your perfect little face and your perfect body. Shut and up! your perfect family and your perfect school. Stop and it! your perfect Gina, stop it! Perfect future. Stop it! Stop it! Come on! Come on! Come on! I'm home. stopping! Go home. It's always about her. It's gonna be fine. Really? No, it's not gonna be fine! Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 87, Empire Records, getting real close to 100, folks. Yeah, and I mean, I guess we probably shouldn't waste too much time at the top here. We have a lot to get to in this episode. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit like the Hook episode. (laughs) Oh no! Well, the, <laughs> way too long, to and get people out. will be uncomfortable by the end of it. No, I don't know. No. I mean, uh, we watched this one and a half times for me, twice for you. Uh, I, I think maybe we need to be a little bit fair to the listeners here for all those listener requests that came in that we uh, trashed, because it is interesting that I would tell people that I like this movie, <laughs> uh, and I I think there's you know gonna be a lot of people thinking, you know, Matt really thinks this movie stinks as they listen to this episode, and I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, it does stink, but we like it, though. Yeah, so there you go. Sometimes a movie can be not that good, but you still kind of like it. Oh, yeah. There's some good things here. Actually, pretty frequently for me, the brass teapot comes to mind. <laughs> How dare you. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we have one more listener request to get to. That will be coming up next, so hang on to your butts that's right follow the show on twitter at greatest pod i think after next episode which is the listener request we're gonna full throttle to 100 of heavy hitter 
Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well, heavy hitter in our opinion. I'm sure some of the choices will be looked at and just questioned. If we follow the uh, trend of the Blu-rays in order since uh, Empire Records right next to Election, next on the list would be Eternal Sunshine? No, Eraserhead. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. Although, to be fair, and this is... This isn't really a spoiler because we don't like to give out what episodes we're going to do because plans always change and whatnot. But I do have some more movies starting with E queued up for us. Whoa. So it is possible there will be more E names soon. Well, that is a tease. But I don't know. I'm not going to say what they are. But yeah. We'll s- but it's possible. Wow. <laughs> a lot of E's in play People right now. People really on the edge of their seat. <laughs> what could it be? All right. So... Damn the man, save the empire. That's right. I guess, you know. The famous line from the, the ironic movie. line famous for this movie. This movie is I don't kind think of. there's anything famous about this movie. <laughs> well, it's kind of gotten like a weird internet resurgence, I guess, in the last few years, which I guess we'll get to. But um, the film was. Uh, it came out in 1995, uh, directed by Alan Moyle, who. I guess most notably had directed a film called Pump Up the Volume in 1990. Oh, um, is that with Christian Slater? Yeah, it's a movie that's like oddly is that well. Is the one where he's doing like the radio show yeah. somehow? It's oddly like well regarded, but it's kind of overrated in my opinion. And I don't know. Anytime I see it referenced as kind of an important thing, I'm always like, what? I I remember seeing it when I was a kid, and I I just remember the part there's like a part where a chick just like takes her top off because he's always like doing the show without his shirt on or something (laughs) it was like howard stern yes uh empire records was written by a woman named carol heikinen uh who was a former employee of a tower records in a mall in phoenix arizona uh, that store, by the way, managed to hang on all the way up until 2005, which was 10 years after the film's release, before finally succumbing to the inevitable, all something we're very familiar with, right. with a local <laughs> FYE. Yeah, I mean, well, this movie kind of striking some memories up for you at your days at working at Media Play. Oh, yeah. Which very I'm sure similar. were much like. Yeah. Um, she also wrote Center Stage and a film called The Thing Called Love, which happened to be directed by none other than Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, wow. Who directed The Last Picture Show. Okay, so she had a couple credits, huh? Yeah, but it kind of petered out after Center Stage, which is odd because... Who was in that? Mandy Moore? I don't don't know. It kind of was like one of the lesser lights of like the teen movie craze, because I think it came out in like 2000 or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I vaguely remember it existing <laughs> yeah i mean she kind of dipped her toe into the screenwriting waters and then was like yeah kind of bailed out after, after they, that after the studio buried my masterpiece empire records i just couldn't <laughs> work with corporate hollywood again yeah and it did uh bury this, this Fred mo- Ellis, a trend that we continue to discuss <laughs> the uh studio sticking their nose so the film was a tremendous box office disaster. Uh, Warner Brothers was not happy with the film and basically killed it from the get-go. Uh, they didn't promote it in any way. There was no ad campaign 
no big Hollywood premiere. By the way, what ad campaign did they really need? It's like, just put Liv Tyler and Renee Zellweger wearing that weird little Music Town apron. <laughs> I mean, that that would have sold several tickets to me. Well, yeah, they could have been like, Liv Tyler, the girl oddly sexualized in her own dad's one music video is in this. <laughs> Now, uh, what year did this actually come out? 95. Uh, I I have to confess, this movie not on my radar at all until about 2009. I had no awareness of it. I would say the first time I saw it was in like the early 2000s, probably like around 2000, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. But yeah, I mean, even back then it kind of was just... because I think it was rated PG-13, it kind of didn't register with me in the same way with, like, a lot of the other movies I was getting into in those years, like Clerks and Mallrats and and stuff like that. It was kind of just like, oh, this is kind of one of the lesser ones or whatever. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, it only opened on 87 screens across the entire country whenever uh, 1,250 was the original plan. So they bailed out real hard. Yeah. At the they last dialed minute. that back a little bit <laughs> and it just, and it grossed just, uh, $293,879 on a $10 million budget. How many screenings <laughs> before they were like, this is a bad idea. I don't know. Uh, they basically took $10 million and just lit it on fire. <laughs> is that what they did with, for this movie? Right. Which is weird because, uh, you know, obviously we're doing it as a choice on our podcast. Uh, the movie hasn't just completely vanished. You know, it, it got like a, a a fan remix version or a new cut or whatever on DVD, and then now it's been on Blu-ray. Um, it's become kind of a cult hit. Um, there's a meme that's very popular every year for this movie. I mean, it's kind of gained a little bit of traction now, and they do like screenings of it that are pretty well attended you know sometimes the screen the cast does like reunions and q and a's and stuff that like 4000 people show up to believe it or not and it's like it's weird that they were just like this mo- this was a time when a studio could just be like this was 10 million dollars we kind of got cold feet so let's just say fuck it <laughs> they were just like we're not even going to try to make back anything that's a write off we're writing this one off <laughs> basically yeah. it it's just it's crazy because uh, because of that success that I'm talking about that it's you know garnered in the last decade plus, you would think that it could have got at least its budget back if it would have had a real release. Yeah, uh, might have been a mistake. I don't know. Maybe not, though. I mean, things that are good do die quickly sometimes at the box office. It's just the way it is, but they didn't really give it much of a chance. So what is this film about? Well... We couldn't tell you. <laughs> the employees of an independent record store come of age over the course of a particularly crazy day, all while resisting the idea of their store being absorbed into a larger chain. A shocking amount of employees, by the way. And it's also like, it seems like maybe they just hang out there when they're not working. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, I guess this is as good a time as any to just talk about it, like in general, which would be that this movie came out in 95 in an already very fading alternative music scene like the idea of like movies like singles and reality bites and stuff i mean that that stuff was like years prior this was like out of place out of time it's kind of celebrating a culture that kind of was on the outs by this point okay yeah or at the very least was very diminished It, it it's just a kind of a hilarious 
movie because you kind of think you you naturally kind of think oh well this is what it was like when this movie came out people really celebrated like music stores and this kind of it's kind of got like that alternative borderline grungy kind of feel to it and it's like i don't i don't know man i think it was already kind of fading by then and not a lot of I mean, they use a lot of music in this. Only a few songs that stand out for me. I, I, a lot of garbage music in it, I feel like. Not the band. All right. Well, yeah, Well, I don't know. They might be in it. Probably. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to the soundtrack later, but the soundtrack actually did a lot better than the movie. The soundtrack was pretty popular, but it's more. it's not even the music that I'm saying was faded. It was more just like this kind of overly optimistic view of like, this kind of generation of people and and how they would be in like the real world and how they interact with each other and then like the uh the different kind of um there's like a you know punk kids in it and like metal kids in it and uh, towards the end of the movie you see like that weird 90s hippie revival kids show up right. and it's just yes. like it's all it's very like supposed to be uh the kind of music scene brings them all to their love of music yeah brings it, them together it's celebrating a music-based utopia that never quite actually existed <laughs> yeah. which a lot of these movies do they're very like idealized versions uh but this movie kind of seems like it's constantly being filtered through some sort of nostalgia lens but it's like nostalgia for something that never actually happened in other words you know the screenwriter carol Hykinen seemingly was idealizing her time at tower records to be something far more special and important than it could have possibly been right and i mean her memory is basically as important as the existence of tower records at this point yeah and i mean the store empire records itself is enormous the store is cool. I will say that. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so cool because floor. it's something that would have never existed, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> not quite like this. There's I mean, not... this store is huge and it's not part of a chain. Right. I mean, it's just yeah. a, I mean, it just I, I, And you think it's like And I, even the back room is like bigger than, you know. I think uh we understand that you're not in a city throughout the movie, but it does always feel like I don't know. Not that far from a city, kind of on the outskirts of a big city or something? Well, definitely, according to Wikipedia, it's supposedly taking place in some fictional Delaware town. Definitely, Where would this be? Well, definitely somewhere that I I find hard to believe would support a store of this size, you know, with this kind of particular... I think you need to make product a lot of sales to justify... (laughs) The square footage of this and building. And the number of employees. I mean, they have a back room that's bigger than most CD stores I've ever been in. I know. That's like where the employees hang out. And then Joe has a giant office. It's essentially like a palace that right. you could live in. Okay, so the film opens by introducing us to Lucas, played by Rory Cochran. Now, I will say, when I first saw this movie, it, it is, you're like... Something about like these dazed and confused kids. They were all in like kind of like one other movie around this town <laughs> or something. Because I always think of the main dude is in like Out Cold, and then the one dude is in Mallrats. Well, not Ben Affleck, but oh no, it that's his brother. But then Ben Affleck's in Mallrats. I don't know. It just seemed like well, Zellweger was very briefly in Dazed and Confused, right? As well, yes, but it is weird. This Rory Cochrane uh, that plays like the 
main kind of stoner dude in Dazed and Confused. Right. Didn't really... I mean, it seems like he was a regular working actor, but I didn't remember him being in anything else until we went and saw Black Mass, and I was just looking at the cast, and I was like, Rory Cochran? <laughs> yeah, he he's kind of transformed from like... Oh, like cool, recognizable for teen movie kid to one of those like that guy where he'll just like pop up in something and you'll be like surprised. Yeah, he's kind of undergone like a Matt Crosby like transformation too. <laughs> well, he's definitely got to be like in his 40s, I would imagine. Like yeah, late sadly, 40s. Uh, maybe his <laughs> happened at a more appropriate time in his life. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he kind of plays. Uh, so Cochran plays Lucas, who's kind of this annoying 90s version of cool where they a lot of these kind of movies I will would say have he a, is not cool he, well a lot of movies would have a character like him who kind of has this detached almost like faux philosopher this weird like zen thing though too yeah that's what i mean like yeah. he's pretending like he's so like deep and you know centered he's saying things in an like a slow interesting way but it's I mean, he just kind of comes off as like a pretentious ass. I would hate this dude if I worked with him. A lot of turtlenecks. Right. <laughs> Never a good move, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, his his over-the-top stoner character in Days and Confused is far less annoying than yeah. this guy. <laughs> so he's give, he's been given the task of like closing the store, and he... And this is a big deal to him for some reason. I guess. We, I would be like, okay, I never would want to close the store. I'd like to get out as early as possible. Well, occasionally we're given like a little like sneak preview into like the inner workings of Empire Records and it it never quite adds up or makes sense. Like there's randomly like opening managers, closing managers, but everyone's always there. I, I I don't know. It, it never makes any sense to me what's happening at any time with the store. It kind of just seemingly... People just kind of come and go as they please, and it's maybe their shift. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So he takes the depo- he steals the deposit and goes to Atlantic City because he finds some materials leading him to believe that Empire Records is going to be bought up by a music chain called Music Town. Imagine being that invested <laughs> in your shit job yeah well that's the other thing it's like how i I, how much could these these people be making from this because at one point someone i think it's aj later references like his rent increasing or something and so he's gladly taking on like extra hours at one point or something right it's like are they really making enough money well to be supporting themselves one of the other questions that's going on is like how old are any of these people well yeah i had so aj definitely seems like he's out of high school living on his own i i wouldn't have thought that for all the characters though yeah it's kind of like a fluctuating scale depending on which characters we're focused on at any given moment it's like some might be in high school some might be 33 ages might change as the movie goes on (laughs) so he bets all the money. It's like 9000 bucks. He doubles the money on the first bet and then bets it all again and then loses. So he loses all the money. Right. Now, I guess originally there was a lot more to the plot, and you can kind of see some of this in the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray. I, ne- I've, I don't think I've ever seen the 2003 DVD remix version, which adds a bunch of this stuff back in. I don't think like I, I... I did own this movie on DVD... But I don't know if it was 
that version. I don't think it was because my memory of it was what we watched. But yeah, there was a lot more to the Although plot. that ranch dressing thing that I was thinking of. I tried to look that up to see if that was in that version. I don't, I don't okay. think so. so <laughs> it could be completely made up. Um, and we'll get to that. Originally, the story was supposed to be over the course of two days instead of one. And it seems like a lot of it had to do with uh, Lucas's trip to Atlantic City, which thankfully is not in the final cut of the film because we watched like I don't know a scene or two of the deleted stuff, and it was just like brutal. Yeah, it was hard to sit through another minute of this movie. Yeah, it's like that whole <laughs> ending that got cut out of Goodwill Hunting about him like being like in the CIA and all this weird shit, and it turning into like a action adventure almost for like another hour and thankfully you know they never put that in goodwill hunting and it's like yeah this part of empire records because it has something to do with like him being accused of doing something with someone's wife and then that guy coming and destroying his motorcycle or his vespa or whatever that stupid thing he's riding around on i I mean mean, it's just terrible well comes back into play though in the version we watched right or was that all just from the deleted scenes. No, no, no. That was oh. a deleted scene where okay, he smashes but the bike. I guess, is it kind of in play when the one guy is like, oh, I heard you had some incident with somebody's wife? Well, yeah, but that in the final cut, that just comes off as like one of the like the right the weird things of like playing telephone where by the time it reaches like the fifth person, the story is so out of control or whatever. Yeah. So... He's lost the deposit, so every, every, you know that's kind of hanging over everyone's head. And he comes back to, but he just goes back to the store and sleeps on his motorcycle outside of the store. Yeah, I, that I mean, what is happening? Like, <laughs> that just doesn't seem like something that could even happen. Well, why would you return after you just stole thousands of dollars and lost it? That's a, yeah. Well, they do treat like his this theft as like not that big of a deal. Through the duration of the film. Right, and that continues to be like a a weird issue. But this is the first point where you're like, well, A, why would you do this? But B, once you've done it, now you're just going back to the store. He's just basically planning on showing up to work. Yes. Well, it doesn't seem like he's supposed to be scheduled for the morning because then like AJ and Mark show up. So AJ is played by Johnny Whitworth and Mark is played by Ethan Embry. Ethan Embry, just an all-time annoying performance in this movie. Yeah. Um, AJ is kind of a big nothing burger. He's in love with Corey. Um, he's like kind Boy, of this, like an artist. Uh, actor not really lighting it up, huh? I I don't know him from anything else. No. I mean, he was in some other stuff, but what nothing a, just, really dud of a he's character. like overly earnest and at one point he confesses like this love for Corey. i don't know i guess the other characters might already be aware of it i i i'm not really sure i, I get the feeling that he talks about it not infrequently <laughs> but he decides on this plan to profess his love by 137 which is one of those like icky icky moments in 90s films where it's just like oh 137 it's so random like the humor just coming from it being random it's so annoying yeah and i mean you want to just talk about zero chemistry aj and Liv tyler <laughs> well, probably aj with anybody right yeah and mark like you said is just endlessly annoying so immature 
and basically a non-factor in the entire that, movie. That kind of uh, character because it's I, I don't know a sketchball. I <laughs> it just seems like I, I don't really know what that is, but it's a character that's out of the nineties. He, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be like just a comedic character, like a a, a humanized version of Beavis and Butthead, kind of, but. Uh, it doesn't really talk like that. Yeah, not that bad. Yeah, not like big Guar fan though. Yeah, the whole sequence of him like eating the pot brownies and hallucinating being in the Guar concert is something that I wished would have ended up on the cutting room floor. Frankly, it deserved to be there. It. I don't know why it's there. It doesn't really play for laughs for me. I don't know. Like, there's a lot of things in this movie that just kind of feel like swings and misses. And I know that some of our listeners are probably either fans of the film or haven't seen it. Well, don't it, worry. So are we. It's just that there are things in this where I'm just like, I don't get the. It's not funny. I don't... Him being on well, stage yeah. with Guar is not funny to me. I don't... Him seeing himself on TV while he's sitting on the couch in the back room, which is... The back room, as we talked about, has like a couch. It's got love seats. It's right. got a TV. And These, that's, uh, that's like the main room. And then there's several other rooms off of that. Oh, yeah. The employees at... Empire Records just need all this lounge time to hang out in their <laughs> well, they employee all basically lounge. live there, yeah. I guess. So yeah, AJ and Mark kind of like I mean AJ obviously has his little story with Corey, but that's th- that never really seems like that much of a focal point of the movie. So I would say both of those characters kind of end up fading to the background most of the time for me. But as we discussed, it's like we don't know how old the characters are. They seem to have this casual uh, atmosphere, relationship, schedule with with the the store. They, although I will say their opening procedure seemed over the top. They're like literally dusting off CDs and like cleaning the computer monitor. I'm like, they do this every morning. That yeah, seems kind of crazy, insane. <laughs> Especially with how lax everything else is. It's like we got to do all this shit now. It's like fuck that. Um, <laughs> So Empire Records was actually filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina, and uh, the director had all of the actors live next door to each other in beachfront front properties to form like real friendships. Yeah, that seemed like it really was worth it. I mean- <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine getting all that like QT with? Oh, uh, it would be great if you Liv were Tyler one of the and Renee yeah. Zellweger. <laughs> oh well, absolutely. I mean, although apparently with the amount of dudes that are in this movie, it's like you would think. Well, Zellweger came into the movie dating Rory Cochran, apparently. Oh, really? I guess they met on Days and Confused or something. Wow. Well, he was doing everything he could to keep her away from... He was punching way above his weight, especially in 95, because, I mean, Zellweger's a goddamn Those other dudes were just, like, crawling over each other. Now, was (laughs) Coyote Shivers one of the people staying on the beach? Was he staying beachfront property next to his... uh, daughter-in-law or whatever, stepdaughter <laughs> i don't know so as i mentioned you know a lot of the film was changed i think it's kind of obvious that originally the script was probably more r-rated there's some really questionable lines of dialogue that seem like last minute changes almost as if the movie was rated R and it was playing on like USA Network and then they took the swear words Audio out dubs. and put something else in. Because, I mean, they're saying like things like banana head and stuff like Someone that. Someone who like didn't even work on the movie was just making these changes. 
it's like banana head at one point. Um, yeah, and I do stinks. think that's true. They the studio wanted it to be PG thirteen, so they took the swearing out, and uh, I guess there was some character smoking pot, and they took that out. Uh, although the pot brownies, I guess, were okay. Still factoring in, yeah. It's you know is smoking pot standards and practices is uh, kind of a weird. I mean, is smoking pot worse than some of the things that happen in this movie? The general sort of uh, rapey feeling around Rex Manning and uh, well, this was you know this was a time when that was that's true. This was well before the Me Too movement. <laughs> so another character or another actor that was originally cast was uh, Toby McGuire playing a character named Andre. Um, it's kind of hard to believe that there would be more characters in this. That is Considering shocking. that half of the cast you barely know by the end of the film. Right. She wrote a 250-page script <laughs> <laughs> that takes place in one day in a record store. Two days. Originally yeah, two. Right. Okay, so this is a quote from a BuzzFeed article of all things, but I just thought it was kind of oh, no. a funny description of the McGuire uh, relationship with the film. Um so it says, quote, McGuire showed up, felt aimless, may or may not have consumed a psychotropic drug, and somehow ended up oh, in the boy. basement of Moyle's beach house eating a giant bowl of cereal. Moyle found him there. They talked for several hours. McGuire asked to go back to Hollywood to figure his life out and write a screenplay. Mo- <laughs> <laughs> Moyle agreed to buy it. McGuire returned to Hollywood, and as far as Moyle knew, he never wrote the script. But two years later, he was the star of the ice storm. Eight years later, he was Spider-Man. So he kind of just showed up, freaked out, asked to leave. Kind of sounds like a Shia LaBeouf it. type story. But it's also kind of discon- It's kind of like alarming almost to think that how easy it is for like they're that far along in the process, and then an actor leaves, and they're just like that character. It's that out. easy to just get rid of a character, right. an entire character from the movie. It's, well, yeah, it's at that point that the studio started to have conversations like maybe we just shouldn't even put this out in theaters <laughs> it was a troubled production from day one so next um we meet uh cory and gina cory played by Liv tyler gina played by renelle zellweger and they kind of are the uh traditional virgin whore dynamic really like uh, the two sides of the coin that we always are presented with with female characters true. especially this day and age uh, back then yeah these two pop Right away, though, I mean, Renee Zellweger picking Liv Tyler up at her luxurious house, and uh, I don't know, right away, you're like, okay, we're we're getting somewhere now. <laughs> I mean, you get that Gin Blossom song for the first time. Yeah, I mean, Liv Tyler is kind of like the, the virgin, uh, the goody-goody, the academic. She comes from, like, the perfect family. Everything's great. Um, according to Ethan Embry, everyone on set, was in love with her, which I don't really everyone find surprising. Everyone on set, everyone off set. <laughs> everyone forever. <laughs> everyone talking on this podcast and listening to this podcast. And she's kind of friends with like the bad girl, Gina, who you know I kind of caustically refer to as the whore, but that's kind of how she's portrayed. She's That's true. It's definitely beautiful but troubled, and she seems to... It's f- like uh, Reese Witherspoon and Alyssa Milano in Fear. That's a reference for you. Yeah. She's kind of like willing to give it up to anybody that gives her attention kind of thing. Um, But ultimately, Zellweger is, for me, like the film's saving grace. I would say in a film of rather 
inconsistent volume, she's the only one always turned up to 11 in every scene. Oh, yeah. She's, she's bringing so it. Full of charisma. <laughs> she's bringing nothing but heat in right. this movie. <laughs> it's almost like she's preparing for that Jerry Maguire, you know, which has got to be it's, only like a couple years I after know, this. I know, but somehow it seems like 10 years of her life happened in between. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's just the character in Jerry Maguire, but it's just like this young, I guess, maybe 19-year-old girl. And then in Jerry Maguire, she's like a mom. Well, yeah. I mean, different roles. Age is a horrible <laughs> thing. Um, Yeah, and I mean, their relationship for me is kind of like the most interesting thing throughout the course of the film. And it kind of ebbs and flows and kind of reaches a breaking point and then you know some resolution There's a blow up yeah we kind of uh, as the employees start streaming in to empire records we are introduced to joe played by anthony lapeglia uh who's like the manager of the store and the only adult left to deal with all of these uh, fucking emotional People kids who should be adults some of them well it's just like He's clearly, like, supposed to be hovering near 40. And these kids are supposed to probably be 20 at the oldest. So it's like he's in charge. He's the only adult. And, like, he becomes... Because the store kind of becomes like a family, in a sense, because they're spending all this time together, because it seems like half the kids live there half the time. So it's like he's the father figure, but he seems pretty ill-equipped to deal with a lot of the emotional roller coasters going on <laughs> right now he's already coming in with the knowledge that the de- the deposit from the night before didn't get made right yeah, he gets he gets a phone call from mitchell and who owns the store and also the bank which is weird that the bank would call like first thing that's yeah. kind of strange but so yeah he he's kind of aware and and uh aj and and mark are there and uh everyone's kind of lucas is laughing there. it up about this whole the money missing thing. Yeah, nobody seems to take it all that seriously. Right. I mean, really, uh, I mean, I don't know what type of sentencing he'd be looking at for this, but it, you, this isn't a slap on the wrist. Stealing $9,000? Yeah. I guess, you know, he feels responsible for Lucas, but Lucas doesn't really provide even the slightest explanation. Well, he doesn't have a good one. Well, even the truth, which is, I panicked when I saw the Music Town thing, and so I tried to win more money to save the store. Right. He doesn't even say that. There's no explanation given. He's just like, I took it and I lost it. He does say Atlantic City, but he doesn't really explain why. Now, as we go on, and you were sort of pointing out to me before we started recording, uh, it's an interesting relationship between Joe and Lucas, it's it's sort of like Sean from Boy Meets World and Mr. Turner. <laughs> yeah, but I mean we don't even get that until much later. Right. Um but I felt that way even before you told me that. Like there's just kind Yeah, of you this get weird. You, there's definitely like a, uh it's heavily hinted at. Right. Because it he's like saying that if Lucas gets arrested, who's he going to call for bail? Oh me? yeah, right. And that kind of thing. But I mean, Joe is kind of like walking a razor's edge like all day. I mean, he, <laughs> it is funny because AJ asks him for advice about Corey and he's just like, my first wife left me for a woman and my girlfriend ordered me to leave at gunpoint or something. 
<laughs> so that was funny. Literally your future. And then, um, <laughs> uh, you know, he seems to be, res- he's against Music Town too. And now, you know, obviously Lucas has fucked everything up because Joe's going to have to take his own money to pay that $9,000. And he was going to u- buy Empire Records from Mitchell now, because- to save it. the stakes of this incredibly low. I mean, it's like they can't wear their piercings on display. They can't show tattoos. I mean, would this... I, they're acting like they, these are the most horrific working conditions well, in the history of the world. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess they're afraid that some new manager will come in and all the fun that they have right. will be cracked down. They they're won't gonna, be able to live there anymore. Yeah, somebody, somebody's going to walk in and be like, why do we have this giant employee lounge? Why do we have so many employees? We need, like, three. <laughs> you guys should not even be making minimum wage. <laughs> and like... You don't see it, obviously. He just, like, throws him around his office or something. But that only comes, like, much later when Lucas or something. But that only comes, like, much later when Lucas is, like, really being a dick. And it's like, I don't know. Nobody ever gets fired. Nobody is getting arrested. There's, like, nobody even is really getting in trouble for doing anything. As we find out later, even people that do get arrested are just allowed back in the store. Scenes are being made in front of customers every two minutes. Oh, yeah. Nothing ever seems to really matter. And after Joe, we meet Deb, played by Robin Tunney, yet another employee. Just Um, sort of openly walking around in the aftermath of a supposed suicide attempt. Yeah, she's kind of like your 90s rebel girl... Robin Tunney from The Craft. Yeah, it's kind of hard to get a read on what her general scene is cause beforehand. Because when she shaves her head, all you can think about is like... Sinead O'Connor. Sh- Sinead O'Connor or even uh, the woman that just died from the cranberries or something. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess she's dating Burko, who we still have really well, yet to meet. But it's not really like that But there's definitely clear. an implication that he did something or said something to her that sent her spiraling in this direction. Yeah, when when we watched this, uh, you know, I was kept expecting more closure with that, more explanation. And it never like, quite yeah. comes. And you're kind of like, oh, well, yeah. what exactly happened? By the end of the movie, Burko is trying to see if he can get it going with Renee Zellweger. <laughs> well, it's not, yeah, it's not clear. It's like, did they break up or I, I, I don't know. But later we kind of find that like she doesn't have parents or a mom or something. I mean, she she dumps like a heavy yeah, she's very, burden onto Joe, who somehow no, like lives with these kids. Basically, he doesn't already know that she doesn't have a mom or something, or her mom like flaked out and left or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, she's very everything she says has just kind of a "woe is me" tone to it. It's a lot of like, I don't have a home. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's got that like very rough exterior, and she's built up a wall around herself. But she, you know, she just needs to be loved, right? She's she's a softie underneath, but the role of Deb was almost played by Angelina Jolie. It was like very close to wow. happening. Which those careers went two completely different ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'd be shocking if you look. Not that Robin Tunney had it. She was on a TV show. No, for a yeah, long I mean, time. I, well, I, I understand, but I mean, Angelina Jolie is like an icon. <laughs> Imagine if we were looking back at this movie and it had Zoeger, Liv Tyler, and Angelina Jolie. You'd be like, "Good lord!" But who knows? Would Jolie have been willing to shave her head like uh, Tony for this? I think she would have. She seemed like she was pretty freaky. I guess she did kind of for 
girl interrupted, right? Yeah. Um, I think. I don't know. Something. I, I don't remember. And then I guess to round out the employees, we get Burko and Eddie. It's kind of like who cares other than Burko is played by a, <laughs> just a couple of dummies. A guy who goes by the name of Coyote Shivers. Right. Who was actually married to Liv Tyler's biological mother at the time, B.B. Uh, Buell. Yeah. And B.B. Buell. He was actually like in his 30s. He, where he, the rest, and he lied to get the part. I will say he does look like a peer of a lot of these other characters, but he does. He seems a little older. When but, you say it, yeah, you're kind of like, all right, what's going on with this dude? Now, Coyote Shivers <laughs> in the midst. Uh, really, it's just it's like the Kmart of River Phoenix or something. <laughs> uh, originally, they wanted Billy Joel, Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day to play that part. Well. What song would they have used at I the don't end? Know. It wouldn't have been as cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Although imagine if Billy Joe Armstrong was just sitting on some Zellweger sessions that were still unreleased. Oh, God. I know. So the day is kind of like evolving. Joe's trying to figure out what to do. Um, he's making Lucas stay on a couch in the back room until he figures out what to do. He, But he doesn't want to call the cops. He doesn't want to tell Mitchell, who owns the store, the truth. At some point, uh, a kid comes in as like a shoplifter. Well, it would be really hard to tell the truth. Of like, uh, yeah, Lucas, my employee, stole the money and it's gone. And Mitchell's like, oh my gosh, well, where is he? He must be on the run, right? And it's like, no, he's sitting on the couch. <laughs> Yeah, well, obviously calling Mitchell would be the same as calling the police, right? Inevitably. Um, so at some point, a kid comes in and shoplifts, and Lucas tracks him down. In one of the more hateable sequences in the entire movie, there's a lot of hateable sequences. Right. Uh, I think when we were we watching have it, Ethan I mentioned that Embry every- just like screaming shoplifter so that his voice cracks. Yeah, well, I can't take it. Every character as i said when we were watching it every character kind of has um a really cringy moment in the film right it's kind of inevitable because the script is sometimes not that great so i i can't really blame the actors all the time some of the time yeah ethan embry i i just i like ethan embry because i can't hardly wait but it's like dude you're so terrible in this movie right it just <laughs> Overly emoting. He's like making out with a uh, a painted picture of Gloria Stefan on a brick wall. Well, at one point. I mean, you can relate to that, I'm sure. <laughs> so Imagine they catch the shoplifter, like and the shoplifter Armas tells him that it's uh that his name is Warren Beatty, which they just refer to him as Warren basically the rest of the film. Right. It's almost as if they don't know. I mean, I get that they're like going with his thing and being funny by calling him Warren, but it's almost the way the characters act at first. It's like they'd never even heard of Warren Beatty or something. Right. Somehow this kid knows that It name. is sort of an odd reference to throw in a 90s movie, though. He was in things in the 90s. Yeah. Bugsy. Okay. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I guess the big reveal that we get shortly after, well, I don't know if it's, ref- it's probably referenced by Corey before this, but we finally kind of get the full meaning of what is happening on this particular day at Empire Records, and it's Rex Manning Day. And this kind of washed-up 80s crooner-style singer 
is making an in-store appearance, I guess like a signing at Empire Records. And I get, and nowadays people kind of celebrate on Twitter and stuff with the Rex Manning Day meme and everything. Oh, I am sure I have participated in that at some point. <laughs> the odd thing about it is it Rex Manning Day is April 8th and it was picked by the screenwriter as kind of a tribute to Kurt Cobain because that's the day that they found Kurt Cobain's body. It's not the actual day that he died, which I think was two days earlier, but I was like, is it a tribute? I don't know. It just seems the weird. They never say in the movie that it's April 8th. You just have to find out from like clues in the movie, and there's like, I guess there's something with a date written on it, but they never actually say it. But, yeah, I mean, this movie was being filmed the year that Kurt Cobain died. So, I mean, this is later that same year. Oh, wow. She actually picked the date before he died. <laughs> As a tribute. Which would be a weird twist. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, Rex Manning, uh, played by Maxwell Caulfield, he's kind of hilarious, I guess. <laughs> sort of a but weird idea But it's also, like, here. very... He, I mean, he's he, he ends up kind of being like a creep... I guess, but not shockingly. I mean, I don't think it's a big surprise to learn that they based his wardrobe and his look off of like a Tom Jones s character, which makes sense. His, I mean, he looks the ridiculous. music is more like Robert Palmer esque, but yeah, I mean, he well, he looks like he's like out of the sixties or. Something. I mean, what level musician? Like, what level of fame? I, I just can't really imagine a time where. A fading musician is going to record stores to do like signings and stuff. I mean, I, I'm sure it happened, although I can't. In I don't Delaware? know why it would happen at a place like this. Yeah, but I mean, it's a real low rent appearance. I mean, they're putting out like a shitty table and oh, like, right. a handmade sign. Like, how it's did like, this even come across that like Joe's desk as like a possible promotional thing they could do? Well, yeah, I was wondering. He's if- like, we can get Rex Manning. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was wondering if that was like maybe something more explained in some of the cut material, but you would have to imagine that like it was put together by like Mitchell or something because otherwise it paints Joe as just a complete square. And imagine you're like <laughs> dating Liv Tyler and she's obsessed with this Rex Manning dude. You'd be like, really? who's dating her? Nobody's dating her. I know, but I'm just saying imagine you were. Oh, well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Rex Manning kind of becomes like the center of the Corey Gina dynamic because Corey really, they don't care. It's just it's there's an idea that uh Corey has this like girl crush on him or whatever, but really I think it's just any famous dude. Any semi famous dude walks through those. No, doors. I think it's for her it's specific. Yeah. Come on. In the movie it is, but I'm not buying it. No, Corey's not like that. <laughs> she had a crush on him because he was on a TV show called The Family Way, which is referenced a few times. So, like, he had, like, more fame, I guess, when she was, like, a lot younger. So she had, like, a very, like, girlhood crush. And right. now she's, like, grown up a little bit. Um, now she wants to have a womanhood So her experience. plan is to, like, offer herself to Rex Manning, although she's a virgin, so that seems tricky. Yeah. But Gina, who is you know, well, <laughs> well experienced in those ways is kind of encouraging her to in do it. Ways. 
you know, the, the penis <laughs> the penis and vagina ways. And she's like, yeah, you should totally go for it. Because the underlying idea is that maybe she's kind of a little sick of Corey's goody-goody yeah, thing. Like, and come she on, wants, Corey, get out there. Play around a little bit. She kind of wants Corey to join her world a little bit more. So she be- Corey demands from Joe that she be the one to bring Rex Manning his lunch. And eventually he relents when she screams in his face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like you're being a little over the top here, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> and so she gets him alone in like a side room in the back because the back room has several other rooms, like I said, attached to it. So it's like the side room where he's going to oh, eat yeah. lunch privately, it, I guess. A dining room, basically. And she's like, he's sitting at a table and she's wearing like a shorts. Like, it should be mentioned that both her and Zoeg are wearing really short skirts the entire movie which i'm not complaining about right i mean it needs to be mentioned though (laughs) so she's sitting in front of rex manning and like opening her legs and it's like a whole thing and he's like uh okay i mean he is trying to play it like uh are you sure you want to do this well she just starts like taking her shirt off at one point and he's just like what is happening and she he's like how old are you and she says old enough which is Something you see a lot in movies, I don't know if that would really pass the mustard for me. If somebody says older, I'd be, no, well, no, Is that what it says on your ID? <laughs> it's like, well, specifically, how old are you? Right. I, I'm guessing that, like, Rex Manning is supposed to be in his 40s. Yeah, it is just... It's really hard to sort tell. Sort of a weird thing that is always going on where, like, middle-aged men are having relationships with 20 year old women (laughs) a weird thing or a great thing i don't know it's just i I mean when you think about how often it is a storyline in movies it's just like holy shit well i mean you know maybe it's dark to say but you know art and movies are just a reflection of what's real yeah that was a very lucas-esque take by you I know, I hate Lucas so much because it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> You've <laughs> got your black turtleneck on right now. douche. <laughs> anyway, she gets like in her bra and underwear, which is just an electrifying moment for me. Yeah, but I do think Liv Tyler exceptionally pretty. <laughs> I don't think anyone's fighting you on that. All right. So his response to that is just to be like, shrug, say okay kind of lean back in his chair and unzip his pants. Now, I guess what, expecting just like a blowjob. I don't really know thing. what he's expecting, but what, her response to that is to freak out and run out of the room embarrassed. Right. But it's like, well, what, what was the right move for him to do there? Not saying that what he did was cool, because, I mean, it is kind of weird, but like, what is? I want to know what the right move is. I don't is. know why I, I have this memory or I this ex, this <laughs> expectation, but I there's a bottle of ranch dressing and when we were watching it i was like wow my memory of that scene was that like he did something weird like pour the ranch dressing on his dick or something like not that you could see it but like he unzips the pants and then he's like like pouring that on you know intimating that she needs to come take care of it uh which is just horrifying i know but i think like in my mind i was like wow that makes sense that she would like flip out but was she not anticipating that Oral could that be she was part of the foreplay. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess like in her weird oral was not on the table for perfect, Corey at all. In her weird perfect fantasy, it was like he was gonna get up and like 
take her into his arms and like passionately but kiss her. But she wasn't approaching it in a romantic way. She just starts stripping. To me, that's sort of crude. Well, I mean, to be fa- I mean, you're going to have to make it happen. You're going to have to put down some intent. Well, I didn't see her like lighting any candles or anything. <laughs> I mean, they're in this shitty spreading rose petals around the room. I mean, it's kind of just this big embarrassing scene for her. I don't know though. Once uh my memory or mis uh re- remembering of the scene came clear as to what was really going on, I I was just like, well, wh- I can't believe that she's reacting this harshly to this. I think I could see her just being like, well, no, that's not what I was thinking. But then if I was Rex Manning, I'd be like, well, what were you thinking? Right. Well, that's what I mean when I say, well, it's kind of, I guess, I'm guessing, and you kind of have to do the guesswork, which is she's has this fantasy of him, like I said, being like this romantic, passionate thing. He somehow had like a Matt Lauer lock on the door installed <laughs> while he was there. <laughs> well, he was running out the room and he's pressing a button under I the mean, table. He's a, he's supposed to be like this famous guy. He has like this music video for Mona Moore. Say no more, Mona Moore right. or whatever. Yep. And it's like just it, a great song, really. It's kind of like the Blurred Lines video. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. It's like Emily Ratajkowski's just shaking her titties. <laughs> but like, you know, I'm assuming this guy has women has had over the course of his career because he's supposed to have had some success. I'm sure he's had women just throw themselves at him and they're not virgins like Corey. So it's like, you know, he's just pulling his dick out and they're going to town on it. See, I always thought of him as like a Rico Suave type character. I kind of thought of you as a Rico Suave type character. I don't know. Rico Suave had certainly more hits than I do, (laughs) but so Corey runs up to the roof, which I guess is somewhere where they can just easily go all the time because God knows they don't have enough space in the fucking store. Right. So she goes up to the roof where AJ's up there being a just a total embarrassment of a human being. <laughs> and about to make it much worse. So this he he does she's crying and he very selfishly decides to make this moment about him and his big confession oh, no. of love. Even though and a lot of times it's like if you're like a guy, especially like in high school or of this age and you're watching this, you're kind of supposed to like relate to him. It's like, oh, you have this crush on this girl and you've been afraid to tell her and you're friends with her. And it's like this is this big do or die moment. Even though like every uh, friend that AJ tells is like, yeah, I have that same crush. <laughs> but like, of course, this moment is a terrible choice because it's like, well, dude, can't you see that something's wrong, that this may not be the right moment? I mean, I know you made this proclamation to have to do this by one thirty-seven today, but it's like, dude, this uh, might yeah. not be the right second because she seems Abort. upset. Why don't you ask her what's going on and give her some space if she needs it or whatever? And it's just like he tells her she doesn't react well. And she's, just, she's <laughs> I like, like how she's I, basically like begging him not to say it. Right. <laughs> but she's like, I just threw myself at Rex Manning. And it's just like, I mean, if you're AJ... I don't know how you really go back to this at this point. Yeah, it's, that's like, a, it's a it's a dead end at right. that point. But he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't see that. But, you know, this leads to a scene between Corey and Gina. I guess they're like on a break or something. And they go over to this pizza place where Eddie works, who is just this minor character who shows up later. He's nothing. But they're just sitting at this table outside of this pizza place. And, like, Corey is kind of just, like, confessing what has happened to Gina. 
and it turns real ugly. Yeah, Gina was really holding this down. Well, no, no, no. This is no, no. This is where Corey is like super mean to Gina. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's basically like, "I can't be a slut like you." <laughs> that's basically <laughs> what she's saying. She's like, "You can just fuck whoever you want." And blah, blah. It's just like, and yeah, she's it must just be great being like real kind of cruel about Gina and Gina of course is upset and storms off and kind of sets in motion like the rest of the film which is Gina seducing Rex Manning which isn't too hard right she plays uh, yeah that's how Gina gets her revenge on Corey so then like Rex is fucking Gina up against like a copy machine in the one of the millions of back rooms yeah, the, that they have. The seduction tactic being she wanting to guess, see his underwear. Oh, she can guess the style and color of any man's underwear. Right, and she tells him what she thinks it is, and then they need to go into the back room so it can be confirmed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Meanwhile, so- everyone in the store aware of this going on, and not just the employees. <laughs> <laughs> Basic. Well, eventually. So then. AJ comes in and he starts playing Rex Manning like over the store speakers and he gets like real rapey with Deb and he like puts her hand on his crotch and well, it gets yeah. real weird. AJ's having a little bit of a emotional a yeah, breakdown here. <laughs> yeah, he's acting like sexy Rexy. And meanwhile, Corey is standing there watching this. So at some point Unfazed. She I guess didn't notice Gina and Rex disappearing into the back, but Rex apparently can just get up and leave like this line because sometimes we see a long line of people waiting to meet him, and other times he's just disappearing to the back room to eat lunch. It's and not a well organized event. Now his publicist does quit on the job. Yeah, Debbie Mazer plays Jane, his like assistant or whatever, who shows up is basically like humiliated in the quitting by the employees of empire records they're basically make fun of rex manning and her for working for him and then he's just she she goes in and tells joe (laughs) that she's quitting as if right he's like somehow tied in with rex manning it's he's like why are you telling me yeah well we have one scene with jane and rex when they first show up where rex is like oh my god what are we doing here this is awful and she's like this is these are the people that still buy your records. Like we need to be hitting these small crappy markets so that <laughs> you know you can meet these people and maybe they'll continue to buy. It. Uh, so she's like, it's like she's really invested in this. And then it's just like halfway through, she's just like, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like I'm not even gonna tell Rex that I quit, <laughs> but then I'm just gonna hang around in this small town. Yeah, she leaves and then later comes back. But so Rex is fucking. Gina while the other people are kind of goofing on his music and then eventually everyone kind of comes to the back and they're like where the fuck is Rex Manning (laughs) and then but then Deb says to Joe I got a better question for you Joe where's Gina it's like fuck you Deb (laughs) it's like mind your own business (laughs) and then all of a sudden they can like hear them fucking basically in the other room right a copy machine involved and then Corey comes back and she <laughs> so conveniently she's like, "Where's Gina? Where's Rex Manning?" <laughs> it's like, yeah, and she like dawns on her because then the, like she tries to go into this room. She wants to like counter drawer down or whatever, and then the door's locked. She's like, "Why?" Is she, the door she's locked? all of a sudden deciding that she wants to work. No, she's leaving. She wants to leave. Counting her drawer down, but oh well. I, guess I mean, that, still part of work. That's well, when I said we get little windows into the goings on. Right. It's like very brief. Yeah. So apparently, you have to count your own drawer down. So 
that's when Rex and Gina come stumbling out of the room. She's got like Rex Manning dripping down her thigh. <laughs> yeah. And and he's just like, Oh, I guess what, no applause. <laughs> That is one of the uh, funniest moments in the movie. Well, it is. Like, they're all standing there staring at the door. Then they come out. And it's, like, so obvious what was just happening. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to say? Right. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, it is, like, super weird. And, of course, like, Corey has a total meltdown. Oh, yeah. This is Jesse Spano-esque. Well, yeah. Well, then she she has Maybe her a little meltdown. Bit better acting. And then it gets trumped immediately by Gina's meltdown in response to Corey's meltdown. Right. It's like, it's an unbelievable scene. You've probably heard some of this clip at the top of the episode. It's the best scene in the movie by a million percent as far as I'm concerned. Right. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically Speed just like... pills flying all over the room. It's basically just like, you know, each of the girls confronting each other with things, I guess, that are secrets and things that they haven't been able to say and kind of like inner conflicts and turmoils and problems that they've had with each other or whatever and Gina's a slut and Corey is a speed freak so that she can stay awake to study because nothing's good enough for her parents that old trope but Gina's jealous of Corey's perfect life like her perfect family that loves her and cares about her and blow it seems like a lot of the kids that work at Empire Records have family problems well And she takes, like, the speed pills that Corey's been hiding and starts throwing them at her. Right. <laughs> and just screaming at yeah, the top really of her lungs. Yeah, really just a humiliating beatdown for Corey. <laughs> for both of them, really. Because yeah, they eventually have like to Gina pull... Gina can take it. They eventually have to pull Gina away, and she's like, I'm done, I'm done. And then Cor- as soon as Gina leaves... Then Corey freaks out, and then she starts attacking like a cardboard stand of Rex Manning. But this is now out of the back room and into the main f- it's store floor. It's now out in front of customers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, with all like the public scenes going on at this store, I, I would definitely want to keep shopping there. Yeah, like, this place is great. <laughs> you never know be- what's going to happen. Now... It is one of those weird things where you see, like, the upstairs, and there's all these, like, listening booths. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was a thing. That was a thing. Okay. At Media Play? No. Okay. Although they may have had, like, headphones you could put on at different, like, places, but... They they have... It's kind of a weird thing, though. I mean... They tried... There were different things throughout, like, the mid to late 90s to try to hang on to the music industry, like... I remember there was a place called Blockbuster Music, believe it or not. Oh, really? That sold CDs. Oh, and wow. They were the only place, and this was such a dumb idea, and it didn't work at all, which was like you could buy a CD, open it, listen to it, and return it for full price. Yeah, that's not great. So they would have CDs on their shelves that were just like repackaged. Not and a great business model. It was really dumb. Right. But you I think you could like I think they had like listening stations there. I don't remember if you could actually go into a, like a little room. I think I seem to remember them existing though somewhere. But um I feel like that too, although I don't have any clear memory of where I would have encountered one. Yeah, I mean so after the big like showdown between Corey and Gina, there's like a little bit of a connection between Deb and Corey in the bathroom where they Right. Previously Deb has had all these issues with especially the other girls and they they haven't really gotten along, but well, now they're pretty. That, but now that Deb sees some flaws, 
in Corey, she's, she can she's like relate. On now. She's like, I tried to kill myself with a lady bick, but you take speed pills, so you're not perfect either. I mean, just embarrassing from Deb, though. I I tried to kill myself with a lady bick. Yeah. I mean, how could you ever admit that? Well, I don't know. Event. I mean, well, basically, I, what Corey, happens I'd be is like, wow, I'm not embarrassed about the speed pills anymore. <laughs> in a, but it's like it all kind of comes out in a very weird scene where, out of nowhere, they have a fake funeral. Corey's like, we're having a fake funeral for Deb, where we're all going to stand around and talk about her as well, she's laying the thing. there. So now, right, De- the, it does a everything comes around. Deb and Corey are now buds now. And so then, as they're like saying all of this shit about Deb, and we find out about the lady Bick, that's when Corey says the nice things about Gina. And Gina, of course, has snuck back into the store and is overhearing Corey saying these nice things about her. And so they reconcile and all is well. Somehow. I don't know how you they can They got take over back. that big blow up right. <laughs> pretty quick. I mean, that would have cut deep. Some well, of the got, that were yeah, well, to be fair, Gina going off on her and exposing that, I feel like is justified after the scene at the pizza place. I feel like Corey was so mean. Passive-aggressive. It wasn't that passive. <laughs> True, aggressive-aggressive. It, it, it was just pretty mean to her friend just because she tried to do something embarrassing slighted. with Rex Manning and then decided to shit all over Gina. So then Gina, you know, did something cruel by fucking Rex Manning, I guess. But, I mean, ultimately, it's Rex Manning. It's not like their friend. It's not right. like... Okay, so say... We weren't talking about Rex Manning, and it was AJ, and and everything was reversed, and Corey loved AJ, and it, and she decides to throw herself t- to AJ, and then it goes embarrassingly, and then Gina fucks AJ. That's different. Rex Manning is just some jack-off guy who's not going to be there tomorrow. But ultimately... I feel like you can get over it. For my money, Rex Manning won the day. Yeah, I mean, I uh, guess he AJ attacks the- him when he first comes out and out of the room unclear why aj does this it's so dumb that he oh yeah that is bizarre that's embarrassing for aj and then they pull aj off of him and rex punches him in the face (laughs) (laughs) and then they throw him out of the store it's like well no shit um now i guess uh the big miss for rex manning is he had the chance to complete the double but missed out the double well once i think once Corey found out i don't think there was any chance for well the i know I, i'm just saying you know if he could have consummated the act i think you'd have to go Corey first right i would agree equation. with that yeah <laughs> um but the fact that she's coming into the into the room stripping with uh no effort from rex manning i i mean you feel like that's a blown opportunity there <laughs> well yeah but i mean he went for it and she ran out of the room. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I guess, um, you know, this soundtrack, as you almost, I would dare say, drunkenly disparaged earlier in this episode, as <laughs> well, if you just had no you clue could put what you were drunkenly saying. Drunkenly before anything I do. You know, is fairly iconic. And it was like, it, it, you know, it, it charted and everything and, and sold a lot of copies and was a much bigger success than the film itself. They used 50 songs throughout the movie, but I think only like 16 are on the soundtrack. And the the big hits from it were Till I Hear It From You oh, by yeah. the Gin Blossoms, which reached all the way up to number five on the Hot 100. And, and maybe- A Girl Like You by Edwin Collins, which was number seven on the Modern Rock chart. Now it is so weird that I, I, I 
my memory of it was that there were two Gin Blossom songs in it, but it's actually they play Till I Hear It From You twice. Yeah, I mean, I'm still not ruling out that there's one tucked away somewhere right, underneath the, yeah. something, but yeah, because there's 50 songs in it, for Christ's sake. Right. Uh, the Cranberries, and what Toad a good the Wet Sprocket, Time Better Period to squeeze in multiple Gin Blossom songs if you can. Cracker, and oddly enough, a Big Star cover, which is kind of cool, Oh, yeah, I guess. that's right. Um, but like, they released a CD and they don't include the cool version of Sugar High by Coyote Shivers, which we get at the end of the film with Renee Zellweger, which, which on to me own, makes the song. Makes the song, makes the movie, that whole sequence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the most exciting part, certainly. The most rewatchable part. Uh, yeah, it is weird because that song on its own without the additional, uh, just even saying female vocal part, is Super boring and not yeah, that catchy. Not so eventually Jane returns. Yeah, that's right. Rex Manning's assistant Jane, back who's in the barely mix. a character, just shows up and asks Joe out on a date. Right, that's lot of like a what the fuck moment in yeah, this movie I mean, where you're just like, what? It is one of those things where it's just like I don't know what it is in movies in general, but particularly from this time period, it was just like if you were in love or interested in someone it was automatic that they were into you <laughs> I mean, there was no question well, what's about joe it. doing he's got nothing going on well i know i mean it, but yeah i mean i guess she knows she's got a vibe in those minutes that she was sitting back there waiting while yeah, rex was the signing. chemistry just electric between the two of them so then warren comes back because they had had him taken away by police after he shoplifted and kind of just been like an annoying kid. He comes back wielding a gun and starts shooting it off in the store. <laughs> AJ, out on the floor. What This is while Deb's funeral's going on. Yeah, and they're like, what the fuck's going on? And they're like, oh my God, AJ. And Joe goes, he's fine. <laughs> while Warren is shooting a gun really off. Really dissolving the situation. Now, it turns out that the gun had blanks in it, but it's like, dude, what do you mean he's fine? There's an active shooter in the store. Right. Now, it is weird. It's like... All these things that that have gone on and, you know, the the amount of shootings that have occurred, like, <laughs> over the past 20 years. But it is such a weird thing to have in a light movie. Someone walking into a CD store with a gun. Yeah, he's pissed at them. And they're making light of it. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, and after you know, once they talk the whole situation down again, and this is when we find out that Joe is basically Lucas's guardian because Lucas is talking to Warren and being like, "Hey, I used to be like you," and blah blah. blah. They basically like, what, give annoying? Warren a job. So, like, the implication is that Warren is going to be working at the store now, and Warren keeps doing all these things, all these he keeps committing all these crimes at the store because his ultimate goal is to work there. I guess I don't know, um, but. Either way, the cops obviously come and they basically explain to Joe that, oh, there's not really anything we can do because he's a minor and he put blanks in the gun. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the, I, that I is mean, hilarious. The, the cops are like, well, we can't do anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this is when the plan is hatched to save Empire Records. So this... I don't know if this happened in, in multiple movies in the 90s, but yes. my memory is just that this was like a go-to thing of just like, let's have a party, and that's how we'll raise the money. Or, to yeah, and it somehow always involved a person being on the news. Right, yeah. To spread word of it. 
And so, like, people run down and they're like, they're trying to get donations and they're selling off like artwork that was in the store and stuff to to raise it, the money that Lucas to, stole, basically. Right. Which I that's part of the equation here that it should be mentioned. Joe was going to have enough money to make an offer on the store to buy it from Mitchell, but now he won't because he's going to put in his own money. I mean. It just seems like the money that he'd have to front to buy the business from Mitchell would have been significantly more than the yeah, money that. Well, yeah, but if he's nine thousand short, then that. I guess could it's, be you a can't hit. come up with a small business loan. Yeah, because the whole thing with Mitchell I mean, I'm is sure Joe just has horrendous credit. Mitchell has like no, <laughs> no interest in uh, <laughs> the record store, and he, you know, I guess it originally was like a. What did he say? It was like a toilet store or something. Uh, yeah. Well, wasn't it like his dad or something turned it into a yeah, music store? Yeah, it was store? like his grandfather had it as something else, and then his dad had turned it into and a that music store. And is his true dream business the yeah. toilet store? <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Mitchell. So, I, I mean, were people in the 90s just bored, and they would just be like, Oh, they're having some weird thing at this record store. Let's drive down. And the answer to that question is yes. Absolutely. People I had mean, nothing going on in the definitely, 90s. I mean, you look at like Airheads even. <laughs> it's a radio station is being held hostage and thousands of people come now, down. Now, to be fair, I would show up. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Stuttering John in attendance. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It seems funny because people would obviously think that because of things like Twitter that like the word would spread for things like this and people would be more apt to do this now. And I would say no. People would people don't want to ever leave their house now. Right. And people don't want to have to do anything. I think if something like this was going on now, people would just tweet tweet about it. And they would like tweet pictures of from Empire Records and be like, Oh wow, that makes me think of this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people don't want to actually be involved. It's like it's kind of why I think we have so much trouble as a country actually like getting things done and getting change to happen because it's like before, you know, when the Vietnam War was like not popular, people would actually like <laughs> We're go, going here. go out and like protest in the streets and there'd be like sit-ins and gatherings and people don't really do that stuff that much anymore. I don't know. There's like protests and women's marches and stuff well, like that you know I, well i think yeah the trump stuff has definitely kicked it got back it back up. going it's again. kind of reviving it a little bit but i do think that there's like a certain malaise that is set up you know set in on the generations because of the internet and things like that and just become now even you're more detached from everything i don't think if a local record store was going out of business that hundreds and thousands of people would show up now no i don't Anywhere. think so either also, maybe Amoeba in L.A. or something, but even I kind of doubt that. Yeah, I, well, I mean, what even is the population of this town? We're, we're supposed to be led to believe that it's not that big of a town. People are, like, driving in from out of state. Right. <laughs> now, in probably... It's, it just turns into, like, a full-scale riot. The thing that uh, has, for some reason... I, there, there should be multiple things that annoy me about this movie, but the one thing that's always stood out to me the most is... Gina, at one point early in the movie, just wearing this music town apron and her underwear, her, and that's it. Yeah, her panties. No bra, 
So I, she's I, like almost nude underneath just an, a music talent. Now, as you point out, if anyone ever, ever, if any hot chick that you worked with ever did this, we'd never stop talking about it. <laughs> it's like the characters I, are just kind of like, come on. That Gina. wouldn't, shouldn't the rest of the movie be like each character kind of going off to the side? I was like, geez, did you see Gina in that out? Oh, good lord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there should have been like at least two characters hanging themselves afterward right. out of frustration. Now, there's no reason why anyone outside of that store should know about that out outfit yet a group of like three chicks are all just wearing their underwear in those music town aprons i think those chicks are actually wearing their bras too true yeah so they didn't do it justice even (laughs) maybe okay so you could think of it as either you know like minds true they had the same thought like someone threw them getting these music town aprons well somebody just threw them out into the crowd or they were friends with gina and she told them that's those are the only explanations (laughs) There are no other explanations as to how that could happen. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, um, it is like that's something that happened privately in the back room. Not the customers didn't see it. No, it word could not have really. Well, that's the thing. Maybe we were right. Maybe we didn't see some of the characters that were back there not stop talking about it the rest of the day. <laughs> that's true. Word yeah. caught on. Like they, holy shit! And those chicks were like, "Well, I think we could pull that look off." <laughs> Uh, Or, you know, one of the dudes that was back there, like, saw these chicks. They're like, hey, take your clothes off and put this on. (laughs) And they're like, sure. Okay, sure. (laughs) Um, But so this all kind of is going on. And uh, Gina revealed during the the funeral sequence or or something that she wanted to be a singer, but she's too afraid to audition. I mean, a lot of auditions going on in this Delaware right. town. Yeah, a lot of audi- a lot of startup well, bands was, looking not, yeah, for she a singer. She was to be like a singer in a band, I guess, or something. Right. So, Coyote Shivers, I guess, who's a real musician, quote unquote, real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he he's him and I guess a band are like playing a rooftop show similar to like the Beatles and Let It Be or something. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> these bands are definitely. <laughs> well, I guess it was like inspired comparable, by that. but like. Yeah, they're playing on the roof of Empire Records, and somehow Gina's just up there and a part of it, and she's basically sings Sugar High with right. Coyote Shivers. Yeah, and just a great job of acting at the part where he tells her <laughs> to take the lead. I'm not really sure they needed the extra ADR added in, right. but, you know, whatever. And I will say... That part always gets me pumped, though. Zellweger is so good at... S- singing this song i wish that there was an album of songs like this i agree singing her voice is so good for this kind of music and i'm just blown away that it's actually her yeah that was like my big thing i was like i gotta look this up to see if this is actually her because i would have been really disappointed if it wasn't i would have been like oh man that sucks but it actually is they should have done a whole album together (laughs) yes i agree (laughs) (laughs) She just like adds something to this song that isn't there in any of the other actual real versions of Coyote it. Coyote Shivers could have had a whole career if he just <laughs> got her involved. D- dude, I bet you he fucking begged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you gotta. eventually he's kicked out of the band. Right. It's but still it, called he, Coyote Shivers, but <laughs> it's just Renee Zellweger. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't kill himself, but people demand that he does. <laughs> no, that's an inside reference. Right. So after that, 
Joe ends up buying the store for Mitchell with some of the cash that's coming in. And really Mitchell, just sort of an empty kind of pretzel container full of cash. Yeah, and Mitch, Mitchell's kind of just like fine and just yeah. wants to wash his hands of the whole thing. So right. it ends up not mattering about yeah, the $9,000. No, uh, no one ever finds out, right. I guess. No contract or anything. Just let me sell you this store for cheap and I'll just take this container of cash, <laughs> which seems like maybe has like $3,000 in it. If that. Right. A lot of ones in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then AJ and Corey kind of have this like rooftop reconciliation, I guess. One is it more on the rooftop scene. or is it like behind the Oh, store? no, yeah. Yeah, because he's up there and she's like, AJ. Oh, yeah. Like everything, everything has to play out on the rooftop right. at the end of this movie. Yep. And it's kind of like she. Yeah, they have to go up closer to the band. <laughs> she's going to Harvard. And because I guess she's in high school, that's that comes back to the how old are these people question. Because he's talking about rent, she's talking about going to Harvard. It's like he must not have gone to school right out of college or right out of high school. Yeah, so she's like, I guess, just finishing up high school or something and going to Harvard. And she's he's really, gonna he's gonna go to art school. Well, she's conveniently been, located close to Harvard, <laughs> which is another trope in these right. movies. Which, by the way, uh, he'll be dropping out of. <laughs> Oh Three yeah, months in, she'll be breaking up with him. Oh yeah, to real date soon. Some like legitimate professor, right? Or even like a dude with a future. <laughs> yeah, his some he, rich. He parents. shows a little bit of his art in this movie. It's yeah, not that I, great. She's hanging out with some dude in a sweater vest that weakens at Nantucket. I mean, I think AJ would be out of the picture real quick. His big art exhibit is to like glue some quarters to the floor and then draw a picture. Oh yeah, of her. his art stinks. He would be <laughs> laughed out of art school. <laughs> That'd be funny if when he tells her like he's going to go to this art school and they can be together and all this stuff she's like, "But did you get in?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? They said yes. <laughs> so of course everything works out fine. Joe has the store, AJ and Corey are reunited, Lucas is off the hook, Renee, uh, Renee, Gina got to sing, <laughs> Deb seems less sad. Right, so it's a big after win for the funeral. Her. It feels like maybe she's going to have some long-term friendships with Corey and Burko Gina. She needs to kick out of, I don't know about Gina, but she needs right. to kick Burko out of her life. Burko's not a cool guy. I don't know. He seems cool during. I think the, he was beating on her. or something. Yeah, I don't know. I think I take. I think more maybe Deb was overreacting. Probably. I think he maybe just kind of made a comment about her looks. So she shaves her head. Right. <laughs> Very dramatic. Yeah. Obviously, she. <laughs> she had was tired to, of getting molested by her stepdad. That's the thing. There's <laughs> no doubt in my mind that Deb had some issues with some sort of male father figure in her life. Yeah, well, I think that's that's kind of the underlying thing with all the chicks in this. Like, well, and maybe all the chicks in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Well, G- well, Gina is like you know a b- borderline prostitute, and Corey gets fa- uh, flowers from her dad, basically like force. But like the note with the flowers is like forcing her to go oh, to yeah. Harvard. It's like you know all of this like pressure to do better in school and, and all about grades and nothing's ever good enough. And it's just like, you know, it's very like her speed addiction is very like Jesse Spano. Right. As we mentioned, I'm I mean, glad it's, like oh, who was so plugged in to just get like these speed pills. Well, you could buy them. Right. Like I think like it was just trucker like over speed. the counter. Yeah. I think in the nineties you can buy, you could buy like methamphetamines. No, but, <laughs> Uh, what is that like a Fedrin and all those? Yeah, like, I'm weird sure it was some sort of 
Yeah, they you could go to like truck stops. Diet pills. Yeah, diet pills I think is what right. she's taking. Okay, yeah. She says like just nonstop watery shits. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Welcome to my world, Corey. <laughs> Um. All right. So Empire Records is fun. Yeah, uh, I swear it, it, I do like, like the movie. The older the the older you get, though, the more annoying some of the characters are. Yeah, maybe that is it. It gets harder and harder to deal with, like Lucas and right. AJ and Mark, especially. Um, I probably would also lump Burko and Eddie into that category <laughs> as well, but you barely know them. So Gina and Corey really holding the movie together. Yeah, I like Deb and Joe. Yeah, and Jane. Eh, she's kind of a nothing, but and I like Rex Manning. Yeah, I do. I think too. he's kind of funny. Right. Yeah, it's kind of hilarious that like everyone in his line is either like an old lady or someone saying that they're getting the autograph for their mother or whatever. It's kind oh, of yeah. like a recurring thing. Right. His outfit is kind of hilarious, but it, it fit like there was like that weird time in the '90s where like there was definitely like a big. 60s revival in the 90s yeah like they brought I, I, Woodstock I back the previous yeah. year in 94 and hippies were kind of like a thing but he's also dressed more like in a mod sense but that was kind of you know like it definitely seemed there was like vh1 was really taking off with like stoner culture was back in full force yeah i think you know people were kind of over like the synthesized cocaine glamour of the 80s and were like i don't know how they could be they i'm not to, over it <laughs> they wanted to get more back to you know peace and love right bill clinton was president and he was like basically a hippie yeah <laughs> um okay well you know so yeah a little it was bit, a fun one a little bit longer episode this week kind of uh eh. not that long okay well long but Deal with it. No, I mean... A deal with it style episode. Well, I was saying it (laughs) as if it's a treat, not a punishment. (laughs) I was thinking from a listener's perspective of him already getting (laughs) upset. They, like, download this and they look at the time and they just immediately delete it. I mean, it is, like, this funny thing. We, We, like, trash all these movies and stuff and we're like, oh, man, I can't believe we had to watch this. But it's, like, really is... Uh, Empire Records, a better movie than American Psycho 2? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody was too upset with our treatment of American Psycho 2. No, me neither. Uh, Greatest pod fan, got the big uh, like. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's kind of a fun nostalgia run through the 90s, if not the greatest film ever. I definitely think there's better versions of this movie that came out in the 90s but it's it's fine um like i said next next episode will be uh our last listener request for a while oh yeah we may we're kind of in a weird phase of deciding whether or not to do another round of listener requests it definitely won't be until after the problem is is episode 100 we're like just starting to have fun with the show again and we're afraid (laughs) of ruining that Are we? I don't know. I feel like uh, I have two questions. When were we not having fun? Slash, are we ever? (laughs) Is this when will this be fun? I don't. I can't really tell. Right. (laughs) So thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter. Uh, As always, please tell your friends. 
Yeah. Pass the Come word on. along. We're like a word of mouth podcast. People, I think this goes in one ear, out the other, but please, if you can, if you know anyone that even has an iPhone, <laughs> just get them to download. They don't even have to listen. Just, you know, oh, no. we can- we're going there. <laughs> <laughs> if you know anyone that likes movies or talking about movies, then maybe they'll be into it. Yeah, there's always a chance. They might not be, though. <laughs> there's a better chance of that. All right, well, we'll see you next time. Damn the man safe. I need that bed. Why? Because I need it. Why? Because if someone were to break in here in the middle of the night wanting to murder us, they would attack this bed first. So I need this bed. So you're saying that you want me to get murdered first? In front of you? And then what would you do? Would you just run away and leave me to bleed out on the floor? Uh, sort of. That was the plan. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can have the bed when I leave. Well, where are you going? Stavros is flying in to get me. I told you that. What do you mean Stavros is coming? What do you mean? When? When is he doing that? Like, whenever stupid Mary-Kate stops hogging his plane. Well, where are we going? Okay, at present, he's just coming for me, but then I figured that we would just come back and grab you guys at some point. What kind of sociopath abandons her family in some vomit-soaked dump to gallivant around the world with her dumb shipping air loser boyfriend she's known for three months? Um, David? It will be four months next month. Oh my God. And he just told me that he could potentially see himself considering saying I love you at some point sometime soon, so. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm telling mom, I'm telling mom and dad. No. Have you told them? No, David, I'm waiting for the right opportunity. 
okay? Otherwise, Dad's gonna cry and Mom's gonna do that thing where she, where she pretends that nothing's wrong and then just doesn't talk to me for five months and I don't want that. Well, I need this bed. I need it. Oh. You know what, David? You get murdered first for once. No, you get murdered David, first. David, you get murdered first. No, you, yes, you, you get murdered it. first.